Hello and welcome to the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne and this is the beginning of our fifth season bringing you great conversations with people throughout the toy and related industries. Along with my co-host Richard Gottlieb, it's been our pleasure to bring you conversations with the fascinating people who make up the toy industry. And we plan on continuing. There are going to be some changes in season five. As some of our regular listeners may know, Richard has had some health challenges that have unfortunately affected his speech, but we're determined not to lose his voice and insight. So, in this first episode of the season, we're experimenting with a synthesized speech program for his questions. We're also going to be inviting guest hosts and many more guests because for both Richard and me, our main goal is to keep the conversations going. This year, we also plan to begin building an oral history with some of the titans of the business to preserve and share some of the great stories of this incredible industry. So stay tuned. There's lots of great stuff ahead. And of course, we continue to be supported by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guide, and Beacon Media Group. Thanks for listening, and let's jump into Season 5. We're joined now by David Morgenstern, who's VP of Sales for Madam Alexander, Chris Bench, who is the chief curator for the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester. Get up there. Uh, And of course, my co-host, Richard Gottlieb. And we're celebrating 100 years of the Madam Alexander Doll Company. It's amazing to think that that Madam started this business at her kitchen table when she was only 28 years old and has become an icon in the toy industry. There's not that many uh, 100-year-old toy companies. We've got Schilling and Crayola and Pressman and Chris Bench. Who am I forgetting? (laughs) Hasbro's coming up on 100. (laughs) Right, right. No, you've hit some of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting up there also. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what the shocking thing is? I've been around for a lot of those years, but uh, there you go. So, David, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about this 100-year anniversary? 100 years. We're we're real excited. Lots of things going on. I'm actually out here in Las Vegas uh, for the last couple of days. Uh, we're celebrating with the retailers out here at the Toy Fest West, which I'll tell you has been very, very exciting here. Uh, very well attended. A real big surprise. Everybody is very, very excited about the toy industry this year. So that's just a, as an aside, as they were in Atlanta and Dallas. So lots happening there. We've had wonderful displays celebrating our 100th anniversary with, with food and, and giveaways and, and special dolls for the retailers to see. And we can't wait for our consumers out there to see all the special dolls. Well, let's start off talking a little bit about Madam herself and her amazing career. Do we know about any obstacles she may have faced as a woman breaking into a very male industry? You know, she she was a pioneer. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody really took it very seriously in the beginning. And that was an enormous mistake. Madam Alexander, you know, marched her way down to FAO Schwartz in the beginning uh, that they were their her, her first customer uh, with a head of steam. And she wouldn't be denied. You know, an awful lot of people took a look at a woman uh, uh, making dolls and didn't really believe in her. But she believed in herself. She never borrowed a dime for her business and just forged ahead. A hundred years later, we're still making the same type of beautiful dolls that she started in 1923. And Chris Bench, can you comment on some of the innovations that Madam introduced into the doll industry? There are so many parts that we consider 
standard on dolls, like rooted hair and sleep eyes, things that, and dolls that were made out of plastic, an entirely unheard of material when she launched in 1923. She was at the forefront of so many technological elements like that. You know, Chris, it's not just the technological, though. You know, I always think about what makes Madame Alexander different. And I think she was the first person to take a look at a doll and give it more than a toy, uh, you know, as, as a teaching unit. Uh, you know, you, you really think back uh, uh, about what she was manufacturing. Dolls and beautiful clothing. And it wasn't all about fashion. It was about teaching little girls how to dress. Literary dolls. You know, whether, whether it be Anne of Green Gables or the Little Women, of course, she had three sisters and they loved the Little Women's story. But how about when she came out with a Scarlett O'Hara doll for the uh, Gone with the Wind? The movie hadn't even come out yet. And the rumor is that uh, Warner Brothers actually uh, hired Vivian Lee because she looked more like the Madame Alexander doll. <laughs> I'm not sure I believe that, but I hear that all the time. And Madam had a very idealized view of what little girls looked like. I mean, when you saw a Madam Alexander doll, you knew it was, especially the smaller ones, you knew it was a Madam Alexander doll. What was it about that design that, that motivated her? She just thought little girls should dress properly, should learn how to dress properly at a very, very early age. And they were all in beautiful dresses with, you know, beautiful shoes and socks and, and undergarments also. She never left the undergarments off, off the dolls, too. Little girls should learn how to dress, how to be aspirational, to be able to take a look at something and say, gee, you know, I aspire to be this. I aspire to look like that. But it wasn't just fashion. And Chris Bench, you guys at the Strong National Museum of Play are unveiling a hundred year anniversary display about Madam. What's in that? I just checked our database, and we have more than 260 examples of Madame Alexander dolls in our collection, and we couldn't get all of those out at once. So we've settled for about 30, 35 dolls that trace the company from its roots in the 1920s right up to some of its most recent product and show what is so wonderfully continuous in that sense of quality that it goes across the years and that there's a look and feel for Madame Alexander Dahl. And as you say, Chris Byrne, you, you recognize them at 20 paces. They have a particular look and feel that is unlike any other product line. And to show the way that that sort of vision of what dolls should be and how play with dolls should go, that that's extended over decades and generations, is useful to see. It's meaningful. And one of the great refrains of guests to the Strong Museum all the time is, I had one of those. Right. Or also, I wished for one of those. And mom, dad, you never let me have one. I heard a woman yesterday walking by our Madame Alexander cases and saying, oh, aren't they beautiful? I always wanted one. I never got them. They were a little too expensive for my family, but she knew them. She recognized them. They sent her traveling back in time to her childhood and some really powerful memories. This is an American company. Where were the original dolls made? I believe they were made up in Harlem. Is that correct? She actually uh, moved to Harlem. I, it, it, I believe it was during the 30s, but she was making the dolls down in the you know, Lower East Side uh, when she first started the company. 
She had a small shop down there. My favorite Madam Alexander story is that early on in my career, I got a chance to meet Madam, and mm-hmm. and she she was quite something. Mm-hmm. And and I told her that my aunt had had the Sonia Henny doll, and her response was, <laughs> "When Sonia saw what I did to her nose, she had hers fixed to match." Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've I, I've heard that story, and uh, right, I, 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 I like to believe those, you know. Oh it's, yeah, uh, I mean those are those are the classic <laughs> stories. And David, she really had an idealized view of what girls, especially, could be. Isn't that true? Again, it was all about uh, aspiration and empowerment for little girls. Literary characters, uh, the international dolls, teaching girls about traveling across, you know, throughout the world. Uh, going to Japan, going to Europe, going to uh, Africa. Uh, nobody else was doing those type of things, with that type of costuming. Promoting little girls' dreams in those days. Can you tell him the us about what was going on in Madame Alexander's life as she decided to design and market dolls? Well, I know that she had dolls in her jeans. She was the daughter of a doll repairman, essentially, who ran a doll hospital. And that's something we don't think about in our kind of throwaway environment. We, If something breaks, whatever it is, let alone a doll, we get rid of it and start over. So, Repairing dolls gave her a perspective from her father's doll hospital that dolls weren't built with enough durability. And that was something that was motivational in her earliest dolls that were built to withstand actual play. Because these were dolls that were not just going to sit on a shelf and be admired. They were going to actually be enjoyed by children, by women. And it was something that really broke through that way. As the story goes, little girls used to come in with their porcelain dolls that were cracked and fractured and uh, made her and her sisters very, very sad. Starting the company at the uh, kitchen table uh, with her three sisters, again, you know, the little women's story with the four girls was inspiring to her. And you know, her first doll was a Red Cross doll and the rest is history. And Madame Alexander has been huge with collectors. I, I know that, that there are some casual collectors, but there's some pretty extreme collectors. People who've built entire rooms onto their homes to showcase their Madame Alexander dolls. What's the appeal of Madame Alexander to collectors? It's funny you mention that. I just came from the Madame Alexander premier, Doll Club premiere, the MADC premiere in Fort Lee, New Jersey. We had that last week, and we had about, oh, I would say about 300 women that do nothing but think about Madame Alexander dolls. And it was absolutely a pleasure to see them. And it, it, it's not just one type of dolls. The Madame made all sorts of sizes and shape dolls over the years. It was baby dolls, uh, large fashion dolls, 21-inch fashion dolls, little 8-inch Wendy dolls. They all had a different type of story, whether it be, gee, I loved the Maggie doll or the Wendy doll, and I grew up collecting those. Or I just had one doll that I just looked at all the time on the shelf, and I just wanted to play with all the time. Everybody had a different story to tell me. Just wonderful to hear. You talk about uh, women putting uh, additions on their houses for their collections. I've heard of one woman who was telling me a story that she had to save up for her, her Madame Alexander doll, and she ate nothing but carrots for a, a solid month. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and what happened? Of course, she started to, you know, to turn orange after a while. 26 years of hearing these stories. I can travel anywhere in the United States, and when someone comes up to me and finds out I work for Madame Alexander, the stories just flow. Chris Bench, any great stories you have? 
Well, uh, uh, David's comment just makes me think of a bad pun. Aren't you glad you <laughs> ate those carrots so you could get your <laughs> Madam Alexander doll? But a bum. Um, uh, <laughs> one of the things I, 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 I ahead, love sorry. about Madam Alexander is that in advance of so many other toy makers, she was doing licensed products, licensed celebrities. Today, we live in a licensing world, and we expect everything from our playthings to our household linens to be capable of coming with our favorite characters or personalities on them. But she was picking on up on that, that celebrity culture, those famous characters way before most people were. And we give a lot of credit as well to American Girl Dolls for the association with history. And David, as you say, she, those little women, Alice in Wonderland, famous characters like that, or the first ladies of the United States, or Scarlett O'Hara. There are so many touch points into literature, culture, history that were built into Madame Alexander dolls. And I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the president's wives. Uh, one of the you know the best known collections that Madame ever put out. And then, of course, to these days we have the Doll Club and collectors across the United States that would would like to see Michelle Obama dolls and all sorts of things. A little more difficult in these days with licensing being what it is. It was very different back in the day when you didn't have to sign contracts and pay uh, Warner Brothers or Paramount Studios all sorts of money. But uh, everybody aspired to have Madame Alexander make a doll uh, that harkened to their movies or to, to their books. And probably one of her biggest competitors in the 30s would have been the Shirley Temple doll, which was uh, one of the first real toy crazes that, that we had. And she would have done, who was she doing at that time as well and to compete? Do you remember, Chris? It would have been some other stars like, Sonia Henney, who right. was skating yeah. star in movies. As the story goes, as so many that we're talking about today, I think she had a little tiff with uh, Shirley's mom and wanted to do a Shirley Temple doll, and it just they just couldn't come to an agreement. And over the years, there was a little bit of a resentment there between the madam and Shirley Temple. I bet I have an inside track on some of that, because when I was at Ideal, we had the Shirley Temple doll, and Shirley Temple Black herself said to us that when she took over the sculpt of the doll, it started to look more like her instead of this idealized thing. So I bet they had a fight about the sculpt of the doll. I'm just, no. I'm just spitballing. Uh, yeah, then the madam was very partial, of course, to her own sculpts. And no matter what doll she ever did or if it was a personality, it was always a Madame Alexander sculpt. It wasn't you know, they, they weren't trying to do an exact copy of the star or liter literary character. And then why? Because her sculpts were absolutely so beautiful. Right. She just didn't didn't want to change them. Yet you and Madame Alexander have moved on to new kinds of dolls. Can you tell us about your latest creations and how do they fit in with the Madame Alexander style? Our byline for the last couple of years has been love is in the details and, and never more important than it is now. We're still using many of the Madam Skulls that she originated back in the 30s and the 40s. Uh, the faces are just re as relevant now as they were in those days. But more importantly, times have changed. Uh, we have Generation Z moms out there that are looking for play patterns. We do a lot more baby dolls now, zero age graded product product that's more relevant to uh, little girls and boys nowadays. A lot of our dolls have different skin tones. So, you know, we, we've innovated, lots of accessories in the box. Uh, we still do a licensed product. We still do our collectible dolls. 
But the majority of our products and what the retails are carrying across the United States are more uh, uh, baby dolls, play dolls for little girls to learn and, you know, and grow with. Is doll collecting still a big hobby? When I was back at Ideal, this is many, many years ago now, uh, the conventional wisdom was that it was the number two hobby in the United States after stamp collecting with stamps, dolls, coins. Is doll collecting mm-hmm. still still popular? And are people aging out of it? I mean, <laughs> just as time passes. Collecting became a dirty word back about 15 years ago with the advent of, uh, of the Internet. Uh, you know, prices became very transparent on collectible items of all sorts out there. So be, collecting sort of became out of fashion for a little while. It has absolutely roared back over the last couple of years. People are collecting all sorts of things. And dolls are no exception. Madame Alexander dolls, as well as other dolls in the marketplace out there, are going for a top dollar again. So, yeah, doll collecting is back. And it's not only the older generation, it's also y- young people as well. Our collectible business, our Wendy's, our Maggie dolls, our Sisset uh, dolls, our Sissy dolls are almost impossible to get out there nowadays. We make limited editions still, especially for the, our 100th anniversary. Um, we're making small quantities of each one of these dolls because we want to sell out in this year. I would tell you at this point, our retailers have gobbled up everything we're, we're able to produce. <laughs> And we talked about the Strong Museum doing an exhibit on Madame Alexander. You guys have an event coming up at FAO Schwartz here in New York. Tell us about that. We are. It's on March 9th, which we think is the Madame's birthday. We're not sure, but that's the day that we pinned. And uh, we're just absolutely thrilled. Uh, We will have press there. We'll have TV there. Uh, We'll have, of course, limited edition Madame Alexander dolls, all sorts of entertainment, balloons, giveaways, strollers with purchases, gift cards with purchases. We'll be there on that Thursday and we'll be there every day for the whole month of March. Well, I hope Barbie drops by. That's her 64th birthday, March 9th. No. Well, but this is also fitting that March is Women's History Month, and Madam Alexander was a historic woman in the toy industry and an inductee to the Toy Industry Hall of Fame, one of still only a handful of women who have received that honor. Up there with Margareta Steiff of Steiff Bears and Stuffed Animals, Ruth Handler, founder of Mattel, and so forth. If I understand correctly, your celebration isn't just limited to here in New York. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing nationwide. We have a, a network of, of small retailers out there. They're the, really the backbone of Madame Alexander, what you used to call mom and pop stores. They're absolutely wonderful. Many of them had closed over the years, you know, due to COVID or the change in, in, in the marketplace. But they, again, they've become roaring back over the last couple of years. They're the backbone of Madame Alexander. And they've all been been clamoring to get some ex- special Madame Alexander product and have events in their stores. So there's dozens of events that we'll be promoting on our website. Very important to take a look at MadameAlexander.com for both product and information about our retailers across the United States. Where does Madame Alexander fit into toy industry history? You know, Madame Alexander was such a fantastic example of a female entrepreneur and as somebody who really believed in her product. This wasn't just a something to sell. This was something that she was 
emotionally invested in and in getting something that she really cared about into the hands of kids who would care about it as well. So she's a wonderful image of the sort of ideal toy entrepreneur who is not just out to make a buck, but is out to make a difference in children's lives with a product that is beloved over generations, gets handed down to new generations. And she's something that new generations of entrepreneurs in the toy world can aspire to. And she was very specific about how she wanted her, do her dolls uh, presented in stores. She was famous for going into FAO or stores across the United States, whether it be Neiman Marcus or any other store, and, and rearranging the way the dolls looked on display. She just had a, a very specific image about what she wanted her dolls to look like. Did Madame Alexander have children? Yes, she did. And as far as history goes, her grandson uh, was, was operating the company for a number of years along with her. I was sad to find out that uh, he had just passed away over the last co uh, couple of months. Uh, so I'm not quite sure, you know, who's left as far as the the, uh, the original family goes, but definitely had children. I believe that she had two two children. And again, it was her grandson that operated the company for many years with her. So, David, we're going to ask you the question, the new question that we're going to ask everybody on season five of the Playground podcast. Who is the person in the toy industry who's had the most influence or inspiration in your career? I was not in the toy industry. I used to be in consumer electronics before I joined the company. So, you know, this was a learning experience from the get go. And I'm going to give the accolades to Gail Jarvis, who uh, joined the company only months after that I did. And really taught me everything I knew about uh, about dealing in the toy industry, what people were aspiring to. She had a unique view of licensing and what was important to retailers. You know, she really was the, the madam uh, reincarnated in some degrees because she knew what she wanted uh, dolls to look like and, you know, just carried on the tradition. That's a great one. I have such wonderful memories of being in that first floor showroom at 205th Avenue going through the line with her. Just a terrific, terrific woman and, and an icon in the toy industry in her own right. I just had wonderful memories of being in the showroom. I started in 1997 uh, with uh, Madame Alexander. We still had the showroom, I think, up through 2003 or 2004. I miss that those days. They were absolutely terrific. Well, David Morgenstern, VP for Madame Alexander, Chris Bench from the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, and my co-host, uh, Richard Gottlieb. Thank you all for spending the time with us today. Thanks for listening. We all appreciate your continued support, your listening, your engagement, your comments. Please let us know what you'd like to hear. And this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are supported by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guy, and Beacon Media Group. And stay tuned for much more. <laughs>